You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is uh, Jay Harvard with the latest edition of the Amazing Mental Unlike podcast with my old friend, Mr. Mike Piazza. Mike, we're making history now. This is the first transcontinental alumni Zoom call. Are you, are you happy to be part of Mets history? Yeah, this is historic. It is good yes. to be part of Mets history. I, I've been uh, happy to find out there's a lot of Mets fans here in Europe. So it's good news. We're just spreading the good news of the Mets around the world. So it's all. Mike, how long have you been in it? I know you've been back and forth. How long have you basically been in Italy now? Yeah, I, well, I, you know, I put my children in school here about three years ago. So it's been definitely an interesting year. Last year, obviously, was very difficult with the pandemic traveling and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, as you well know, I uh, come from an entrepreneurial family. So we're still in the car business in Philly. So anybody needs a car, come down and see us. <laughs> I get back there uh, next week for some meetings to see my brothers and see my dad for Father's Day, which would be pretty cool as well. Yeah. Speaking of your dad, uh, you know, Vince has been a close friend for a long time. How is he feeling, Mike? I know we had an episode a couple of years ago. How is he feeling? Yeah, he's hanging in there. I mean, he's uh, life for him isn't that easy nowadays, but we're blessed to have really good help for him. Uh, we have uh, two really nice ladies who help him pretty much the whole day. Uh, he likes to get out and take his rides. I mean, He's hanging in there. It's it's uh, it's it's tough for him because he is uh, he's slowed down a lot. But, you know, we still have him and we still have days where he kind of sits around and remember, uh, you know, we remember the good times and things like that. So um, that's all you can ask for. I mean, just I tell people all the time, you know, enjoy your parents while you have them. And they're obviously not going to be around forever. Mike, Father's Day is special. You know, you have three young kids, um, you know, and your dad. What, what, tell me what exactly, what did, what did your dad mean to your career uh, from the beginning on? Well, uh, my situation may be, may be a little different than most kids. I would probably classify him in a, as a little bit of that overzealous dad that obviously uh, was very much involved in my career. But uh, the positive was, no question, he believed in me a lot. I mean, he knew at a young age that I had the potential to be a major league player. And even though it was a bumpy road at times, he never relinquished his, um, his, uh, his support and trying to find avenues for me to develop my talent. Obviously the story I'm sure people are familiar with, with Tommy. And um, when I signed with the Dodgers and going through the minor league system there, there's, there's obviously politics in every business and, um, there was some setbacks, but I tell people all the time, if you don't have difficulties in whatever your venture is, you're not going to appreciate the success. So it wasn't an easy road, but it made me, you know, the, the failures and the frustrations you have will prepare you for success, will allow you to handle success better and will allow you to grow more. Mike, tell me, maybe I'm screwing it up, but tell me the, the Joe Ferguson story. You were in Philadelphia he worked you out as a catcher. You had been playing a little bit first base. And your dad went to Tommy. And, and Joe said to Tommy, he can make it as a catcher. And then Tommy, um, you know, called the Dodgers and asked him to draft you. Is that semi 
correct or not correct? Yeah, well, um, Joe Ferguson, as people may remember him as being the catcher when Hank Aaron uh, hit the record home run against um, the Dodgers, I think it was 74, uh, yeah. if, I'm not, if I'm correct. And um, Joe was an outfielder, uh, converted outfielder, who became a catcher from the University of Pacific. He's from the Bay Area. And Joe had a large body type like me. Um, most catchers are, I wouldn't say most, but traditionally catchers have a little bit of a stockier build than I, than, than I had. So I think we needed his expertise to kind of say, or at least uh, hatch the idea of, could I do it as a catcher? And Joe worked me out in spring training in 88. And then the Dodgers were about two weeks before the draft in May, I believe uh, in Philadelphia. And he worked me out behind the plate and he went to the Tommy and said, he catch. He said, there's no problem. He's going to catch. He's, he's got a good arm. Um, obviously I could hit, I could swing the bat, but I had good hands. I went down, caught in the bullpen a little bit. He hit me some pop-ups uh, and, you know, he was very just matter factly about it. He was just like, Oh yeah, he, you know, he can catch. And that's when the, the Dodgers then uh, decided to draft me. Did you, you look back, you know, 62nd round, 390, 1390 player, 1390 players taking the draft. You know, I know your story a million times. Did you go back and look at it? It's kind of really an amazing story from where you came from to where you are now. No. Well, yeah, it's true. I don't, I don't know. Um, because I think now maybe there's so much more data on players and there's so much more information. It is probably a little more difficult for guys to slip through the cracks, I guess, so to speak. But I mean, I, I've said this many times before. I don't know how many people are familiar with my history and growing up in Pennsylvania. I mean, there was some scouting reports on me. I mean, scouts did watch me play. I mean, they, they were aware of me. They knew I could swing the bat a little bit. They just uh, were a little bit uh, hesitant of my body type because I was a late bloomer. I was, I was very slow at foot and uh, they didn't know what my true position would be. So I think once we drilled down and then we decided that I would try to catch, then that kind of opened my whole world up in a way. I could always swing the bat a little bit. I mean, there's reports out there in certain books that uh, some of the scouts in Pennsylvania were like, oh, this guy swings the bat as well as anybody, but they just didn't know where I was going to play. And so maybe the legend, I guess, so to speak, isn't, isn't as, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's, it's not so much if I just came out of nowhere. I mean, I was a pretty decent player in high school. Yeah. And, in college. But uh, with that said, um, there was a concerted effort to get me behind the plate. And that whole idea was probably the most interesting part of the whole story. Well, Mike, I read someplace your dad wanted to be a player himself and he kind of gave it up when he was about 15 to 16 to take care of the family and do something. I mean, is that true? Is that remember that? Yeah, my dad. My dad was a psycho fan, just loved baseball. I mean, he gravita He loved the game. He couldn't play himself. I think he told me he was a left-handed second baseman. And he was drafted, I think, in the Army for Korea and uh, just was just had to work and realized that he could never play. Um, and that's the sort of the interesting thing about him and Tommy. Tommy did go play, and my dad had to go work. And so – they always kept reconnected in the winter when Tommy would come home to Narstown PA and for the off season and holidays and things like that. And they remained very close. And that relationship, I think also really kept alive the fire that my dad had for baseball. I mean, he, I think 75, 76, 
he got season tickets for the Phillies. And I remember days uh, after school, and I said this story before, he would grab me like, hey, Seaver's pitching tonight against the Phils. Let's go. Um, you know, John Matlock's pitching. I mean, a little later in the, you know, when, when John, because he was from Westchester, PA, and um, obviously all the other, John Candelaria, you know, the, the Pirates teams. I remember the Pirates teams with all their different uniforms. And he actually was also very friendly with Chuck Tanner as well. So when Chuck Tanner was managing the Pirates, we would go to the games. So the point is, yes, he was, he was psycho fan. We went to many games and I got in a lot of trouble with my mom because many times it was on school nights. She wasn't happy about it. Mike, you've been on the cover of a million magazines. And let me tell you what Tom Seaver's story. I stayed in touch with Tom after retired. He was on a million covers. And the one thing he got most excited about when he put on the cover of Wine Country. And I recently, you've been on a cover of Cigar and Spirits magazine. I know that meant a lot to you. Talk about your your your, your true, Mike Piazza, true vodka that you Yeah. Well, I was lucky. I met a, a really nice guy from Brooklyn who decided to do an Italian bespoke vodka. And uh, I mean, you. I, I always tell people, Drink responsibly, of course, but I, I enjoy, look, I mean, I think in your later years, there's nothing wrong with moderation. I enjoy a few cigars every now and then and um, a few spirits late night uh, responsibly, of course. But uh, for me, um, you know, living in Italy has been an interesting experience. And I've decided now to kind of put my toe in the water and in, in sort of developing a small collection of, of um, food and beverages. And, and obviously there's wine over here, but the vodka thing was very interesting because I thought it was a really cool concept. And I always felt Italians, it, you know, have an, a certain amount of uh, craftsmanship, you know, the way they make suits and cars and, and various, obviously, food and wine is without saying. But um, so it was fun. And he said, hey, you know, I'd love to have you in the company and grow the company. So we partnered up and uh, it's been great so far. Obviously, COVID's been tough in the restaurant business, but uh, we got some cool things going on. And, and that was fun. And the one I always like is uh, I think going back to Tom is I think baseball is kind of what we did. It's really not who we were, who we are. Um, and I think you can't play forever and you have to kind of redefine yourself during, during your life a few times. So this is part of that. Mike Mo, what's the official name of the vodka, Mike? It's called True. True, True and vodka, it, it, yeah. And, and it's, it's going to be, in a, you have a club at City Field. My, yeah. My we, 31 club. Yeah, it kind of leaked out. We were going to try to do a special uh, surprise thing, but the pandemic <laughs> obviously has screwed a lot of things up. But uh, I think when we get 50% capacity in the stadium, which is coming soon, yeah. we'll open the club and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, you know, it's funny. I got to tell you this, Jay. I mean, I, I really, the fan support I've gotten from the Mets fans throughout my retirement and, and the Hall of Fame and retiring the number has been amazing. So, um, I think you know me well enough. I'll always love the game, but now it's always fun to watch the game and just sit back and enjoy the game with fans and sponsors and the things that I do with the team. So this club will be really cool for that. Um, we're going to have contests and giveaways and things like that. So I think the fans are really going to enjoy it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Mike, the other thing which you've got, and we're great, you've been coaching the national team for the last couple of yes. years. I mean, what's your commitment with that, Mike? Well, uh, yeah, right now I'm the national team head coach and head manager. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a process. 
it's been tough. Obviously, last year there wasn't anything going on with the pandemic, and then they pushed the uh, classic back, I believe, till 23, the World Baseball Classic. But uh, there's a European Championship in September, and as I think I mentioned to you earlier, that Bruce Bochy, I think, will be coaching the French team, so that'll be fun to see Bochy again. But it's going to be a pretty interesting tournament. I mean, there's going to be 14 teams, and obviously there's some teams better than others. You know, there's teams that aren't great, but there's teams that are that are pretty good, like Spain has guys from Venezuela. Um, Dutch team has guys from Curaçao and, and the French Antilles and uh, in the Caribbean. So um, it's going to be fun. I mean, it's challenging because, I mean, literally I looked at a paper yesterday. I didn't know hardly any of the guys, but uh, I'm going to be going around this whole summer scouting him, doing some workouts and uh, we'll be ready. You know, we'll have a team. I hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do the, the results will be good. Mike, I know you've always been a big history guy and, and I know I read that you, your wife went to a, uh, an American cemetery in Florence on Memorial day. That had to be a pretty moving experience. For you, huh? No, that was, that was really special. And as I said in my social media posts that, um, we owe so much to these guys in, in that particular cemetery is in Florence. And it was probably the last year of the war. Most of those guys that were kind of chasing last remnants of, of the, the Wehrmacht uh, in the north of Italy, kind of flushing them out. And so they were undertaking a lot of dangerous mountain operations. And, and a lot of these guys, you know, they left their families at a young age, some of them teenagers and, uh, and fought for our freedom. And uh, they're, they're laid to rest there in Florence and, I tell people all the time, obviously, people know Normandy um, from D-Day. There's a cemetery there. But go on the, um, I think it's the, the U.S. Monuments Commission, and they have all the cemeteries throughout the world. You'd be surprised where they are, where they are actually. Um, there's actually one in Mexico City from the Mexican War in the 1840s. Wow. There's guys laid to rest there. So I tell people, you know, when you start coming back to Europe and you're enjoying your vacation, uh, there's one down close to Rome and you're eating your pasta and going to museums. You know, take a few hours and go see these guys. I mean, I'm sure they would appreciate it. I'm sure they're with us in spirit. And just tell them thank you for helping our country and, and keeping us free. So um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's an endeavor that's very close to my heart, and I'm just happy to spread the word about it. Mike, I know you were we, we camp for a little bit in the spring. Is it hard keeping track of the Mets from Italy? I mean, how do you go about that? How do you follow the team. I know you're very close to a lot of the guys there. And um, how do you keep track of things? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to things coming back to normal. I kind of want to reconnect a little bit more. Uh, it just this whole year, obviously, put everyone on on the, uh, the defensive. It was really tough to get into a routine. But I, I love my job with the Mets. I love coming back and seeing the fans and, and doing community outreach and the things that I that I do, seeing you and everyone back at the stadium. Uh, so we have some things coming up this summer. I'm sure you're going to touch on those with all the fans that, that, that they're going to be a lot of fun since things are getting back to normal, which is great. Um, uh, I'm excited, but you know, I love my role with the team. I, I have nothing but amazing response when I come back and, and do the things that, uh, that we do, uh, you know, the heritage, the Mets heritage site, metsheritage.com, which I was instrumental in, in the Mets sort of organizing our history putting in perspective all the, uh, the equipment and souvenirs and the collectors that helped us build the history, the story of the team uh, has been incredible. So that's something that's close to my heart and I'll always uh, enjoy coming back and working on that. Mike, I don't know if you read, you know, one of your, your former managers is uh, running for mayor of Stanford, Connecticut. 
And and I told him I was his speech. He says, Well, Mike comes back, he's got to come campaign for me. What do you think of Bobby V is the manager, the mayor of Stanford? Well, I haven't seen his uh, platform yet, but I'm I'm sure he's uh, you know he's going to be a, a, a pro business guy and and help be real positive in the community. Yeah, Bobby's a personality. Actually, I think he's great for politics. I mean, I think he has that type of personality. You know, if you're a friend of mine. I'm going to get behind you. That's what friendships all about. Yeah. Mike, I know one before a couple last questions. Uh, September 11th. I know you're going to be there. The 20th anniversary of uh, of 9/11. Um, you know, I've been with the Mets a long time, and you know, I was fortunate enough to get a ring in '86. But for, for me, the highlight of my stay with the Mets is what did that 2001 team did to help the city heal. I mean, the ring was great, the World Series was great, but to have a lasting imprint, and you know, we were a big part of which your home run, of course. But looking back at the time after the attacks, uh, what we did going on at Ground Zero to the hospital to the firemen, I mean, that was something I'll never forget and always treasure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult to be honest with you. I mean, I know people are um, looking forward to commemorating the event uh, in a solemn way. Uh, but as you probably well know, it's not going to be easy for us. I mean, it's going to be difficult. There are still some, some wounds there. Uh, but I believe many times, as I've said many times that we have to do keep their memory alive. We have to never forget um, their sacrifice and, uh, as you mentioned, I think uh, the way the team really um, wanted to try to help people and, and authentically, organically reach out and get involved. And I mean, you were in that meeting in the clubhouse when we got back from Pittsburgh and you right. know, it was very difficult to watch uh, Mr. Doubleday and Mr. Wilpon. I mean, they were obviously broken up. They lost many friends um, on September 11th and they were very much like, look, guys, you know, you can be as involved as you want or you don't have to be involved. There was no pressure i think everyone did it from their heart because it was the right thing to do it was just something that the fans support us the community su supports us so we want to support the community and especially at a time of uh of, of of complete distress like that it was something that the it was the least we could do mike if you had to guess how many times did you see films of your home run I'll be honest with you, it's tough. It's tough for me to watch at times because, again, I, I don't want to sort of put myself there that, that I mean, look, I know people hold that home run in, in a high regard, uh, and I'm honored with that, but it's tough when people say that, you know, you're a hero and it's a, it's a, it was a heroic act. I mean, I was in the right place at the right time. I had a lot of people pulling for me, praying for me, and I could feel that. And my faith in God helped me through that week through that night, um, you know, I was in the right place at the right time and I just believed in myself. And that was one thing that it was one of my gifts. I think, you know, we've talked about this before that um, I had this innate sort of inter internal feeling that I wanted to be the guy up there when the game was on the line. I felt like that was my job. Uh, I never shied away from that. So when I teach young guys or I coach, I say, I go, hey, you want to be that guy up there with the game on the line. That's what you're. That's what we're here for. That's what it's all about. I, I'm not going to say I predicted we hit a home run. But I was sitting in the press box, and I think um, we had a runner on second. Fonzie walked, and who pinch ran from? I forget. Uh, with a pinch runner at second base, and I said to you know Shannon, the late Shannon, who was sitting next to me, said, "I don't. What's going to happen? He's going to do something." You know, I'm not going to say you hit a home run, but I just had the feeling. 
you came up to bat, like all the big home runs you hit, that you had to feel you were going to do something, and it turned out to be, you know, more than something. But it was something we'll never, we'll never forget. Hey, Mike, before I let you go, I always want to ask somebody who lives in Italy, which is better, Chicago pizza or Italy pizza? <laughs> Okay, uh, I got in trouble before with my criticisms of pizza. You know, I really. Kinda, I, well, I, remember I made fun of I made fun of St. Louis pizza in an article when I was over here, and people like took real offense to it. So, with that being said, personally, I was never a big fan of a Chicago deep dish pizza. I don't really think that's not really pizza to me. It's just kind of like a variation. They have a little bit of a variation like that over here, a little bit of a thicker. But the true pizza from Naples, Napoletan, and that Neapolitan-style pizza is about this big, just Santa Margarita, which is just uh, buffalo mozzarella, the San Marzano tomatoes, and the bread has to be very, per not too crispy. I've seen the coal-fired people that kind of overdo it. I'm not a big fan of that. But once you live in Italy here, these people are passionate about food. So... To answer your question in a long-winded way, uh, I do. <laughs> I like standard Neapolitan-style pizza from Naples. Maybe a little prosciutto, a little prosciutto cotto in there, which means cooked ham. Maybe I like mushrooms. Some people don't like mushrooms, but uh, it's all personal. You could add pretty much anything you want, except pineapple. That's not good. It's not no, a good thing. It's no, a good thing. the Italians here, they, 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 they just go, that's not pizza. That's yeah. like another creation. Yeah. My, I just wanted to, before we go, I wanted to take two quick stories about my, my relationship with your father. I remember every time he used to come to Philadelphia, all the guys in the team loved to see him. Because Vince would come with about 30 different Italian heroes, meatballs, veal parmesan, sausage sandwich. <laughs> and they would love to see old Vince walk into the locker room and drop the all, this, all the sausage sandwiches on the middle the table. Remember those days, Mike? I do. I remember going down to the game and we would hit Tony Luke's or Gino's or the, or the other uh, establishments and bring in the cheesecakes, uh, the cheese, the cheesecakes for that matter, too. But also the cheese steaks, the hoagies, the uh, oven grinders, we used to call them, which are like the baked hoagies. And uh, yeah, the guys loved them. And my dad loved doing that. I mean, he knew when he walked in, everyone was like, where's the sandwiches? So I, yeah. he really enjoyed that. And uh yeah, he was a lot of fun, man. He we, we had so much fun in the clubhouse, and uh, he really loved the game so much. And, Jay, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm telling you from my heart, I, I really appreciate the kindness that you guys showed him. And, you know, obviously yeah. Steve and our general managers were just really gracious to him. And I know things have changed a little bit, but, you know, I, I don't want to be like that guy's like back when I played. But, you know, it was a lot different there. It was a lot more fun. It was a lot more loosey-goosey. And I, I, I and he was he would help me out another way, Mike. You know, we mentioned the car thing. You know, a lot of times the the stars on the team were the only guys who got cars. And I would go to Vince more than one occasion. Maybe like the twenty fourth or twenty fifth guy on the team needed a car, had no connection. Vince would help me out, no questions asked. Just keep it between me and him, and he he helped make my job easier. Because I'm my own, I always wanted to take care of everybody. Same, you're down. It's so easy for me to reach out to the. 
the, the second three catcher, the fifth outfielder, you got him a car, no questions asked, and they would help out a little bit. I'll, I'll never forget. Now, the, now the rookies today are making so much money, they don't really need you to help them anymore. Right? No, they don't. We they don't. But I just, he was a, always a special no, great. Guy, guy for me. But, Mike, I wish you all the best with the club and the vodka, and, and uh, I Thanks. hope to see you. It's, I know you'll be there, you know, in the 11th, and, and I hope to see you before. And say good luck with the team and everything. I, I appreciate, you know, tell Alicia I said hello. Alicia said hi. I will. You heard my dog, Abby. She's barking around. So what, what kind of dog is it, Mike? It is a golden poodle, but not a French poodle. It's a small okay. – uh, they, may, they have them in black. This one's golden. Well, Pepperoncino, they come. You, you be safe, Mike, and uh, I hope to see All you right, soon. Guys. Thank you for your time, my friend. Huh? All right, I'll see you soon. God uh, bless bye. you. Thanks, Mike. God bless you. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.